Welcome to our podcast series, Talking with Traders, hosted by expert trader Garth McKenzie in London, from where he's interviewing various guests on the topic of trading. Welcome back to another season of Talking with Traders with me, Garth McKenzie. This is the sixth season of the podcast, and we're into our third year since the podcast began in 2020. Once again, IG have come on board as sponsor and agreed to fund this podcast for another season. We really are privileged to have such a global leader in CFDs trading as our podcast sponsor. Over the coming weeks, I'll be interviewing various guests from around the globe to bring you their market insights. I'll be digging in to find out what makes them tick, how they see the markets in the year ahead, and what techniques they will use to succeed in the markets. Some of the guests will be returning guests from previous seasons, and some will be new guests that I've managed to convince to join me to give up their time and share their insights. As we enter 2023, there's as much uncertainty as ever around where the markets may be headed in the next 12 months. We've just come off a horrid year for investors in 2022, where a typical 60-40 portfolio delivered its worst annual return in several decades. But what of 2023? Will the US lead the world into a global recession, or will the central banks manage to achieve a soft landing for the global economy? Will inflation come under control as base effects kick in and supply bottlenecks open up? Will US earnings hold up in the face of a weak economy, or will they disappoint? Will we see continued weakness in the US dollar? I'll be asking these and many other questions to my guests in the coming weeks. The idea behind these podcasts is for you to get a variety of views from a broad spectrum of market professionals. None of this is intended to be seen as financial advice, but it is intended to get you thinking and to weigh up what possible paths the market may follow in the year ahead. Please remember to subscribe to this podcast in your favorite podcast app. That way you'll be notified of upcoming episodes as they get released. Once again, thanks to IG for sponsoring this podcast for a third consecutive year. Thanks for joining me, and please enjoy Season 6 of Talking With Traders. Welcome back to another episode of Talking With Traders. This is actually the penultimate episode of Season 6 of Talking With Traders. We'll soon be coming back with the, the uh, Season 7 in a couple of months' time as well. But for this episode, it gives me great pleasure to welcome back one of our first guests who was uh, who appeared on the podcast in 2020, when we started this podcast three years ago, his name is Siam Kidd. He's from London. Uh, Siam, welcome back to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me, buddy. Season yeah, six. Jeez, yeah, season, been going some. yeah, we've been going. We've go, been going flat out since I last interviewed you. Nice. So it's good to see you again. Uh, just to remind the audience that, that you and I met originally in South Africa at an IG Markets seminar. It was a live event. You were the guest speaker, but you were the like the, the big speaker, the big uh, main act coming all the way from London. <laughs> you talked to us in South Africa at that stage at the in, in Santon. Um, and I was one of the, the speakers as well. But I remember we got along really well. And mm. I, I, when I was listening to you present, I, often, I, I kind of felt like we were very much cut from a similar cloth in the way we see the markets, the mm. way we try and portray it in a fairly realistic yeah. light and not dress it up to be more glamorous than what it actually is mm -hmm. so it's good to have you back after a three-year hiatus i suppose or three years since we last yeah, spoke yeah. to one another but let's get on it i mean in our last podcast you you were very bullish on crypto and mm. you said that you were putting a lot of your money into ether 
And uh, and obviously what happened since then, that was 2020. I mean, crypto went bananas. Ether went up probably 10x after that, <clears throat> if not Easy. more. Uh, but it, then it also subsequently crashed all the way back down. So yeah. I, I want to revisit that and ask, how's it been? Did you hold for the whole time? Do you still hold? What's the plan? Yeah. So in a nutshell, it was ridiculous. So in the 2017 bull market, like the whole pot went up over 10,000%. It was it was like I won the lottery. It was ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, 2020 to 2022, um, again, that was still thousands of percent. And so... Mm-hmm been an awesome ride uh however i did lose a, a fair chunk in 2022 which is really was ironic because if you look at my youtube channel i i called this this bear market i, I remember there's a video i put in i think january no december 2021 going beware of the january shenanigans you know mm-hmm. moving into 2022 this is where stuff starts getting bubbly and toppy and then throughout, I, I said, yeah, we're, we're in for a bear market now. And I got so much shit on the way down. Go, oh, no, no, it's not the bear market. We're going to 100, 200K, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> loads of shit, loads of shit. And then obviously everyone was like, oh, yeah, it's a bear market. And then now towards the bottom, I'm like, yeah, I still think there's a bit more downside to come. And I'm, again, I'm getting shit again. So <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's a bull market now, Simon. But um, no, I lost a lot of money last year in 2022. So the ar- ironic thing, sorry, I forgot to say is that even though I called the bear market and I moved to cash. So literally I've been in cash for almost 15, 16 months now. Right. I the 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 few trades I did place in 2022 were ridiculously bad. So yeah, okay. I lost probably just over two million pounds last year. Goodness me. Okay. So, yeah. And it, again, annoyingly, those trades were directionally correct. Um but I just mistimed it slightly. So I remember there was one really bad ETH trade. Um, what was it? Yeah, it was around November time. So we were having a, a bit of a pullback. I can't remember the exact numbers, but it was something like it went down to about 1,000 or 1,200. It was pulling back to about 1,600 or something like that. Mm. And I was like, right, this is just a retrace. I'm going to short the shit out of this. Um, so I put in a pretty big short and my stop loss, uh, well, my liquidation, well, they're two different things, stop loss and lick levels. But um, I, <clears throat> the price was sort of dr- creeping up towards my stop loss, not my liquidation level. Right. And it was still looking really bearish. Like one of the things I do if I'm in a trade which look isn't going to plan, I go, right, fresh slate. If I saw the chart right now, would I still place this short? Yes. And every time I did that, I was like, yeah, this is still a really good short. So I held on. But because I was trading on GMX, which is a decentralized exchange, yeah. um, and the size was quite chunky, the borrowing fees were ridiculous. It was costing me about $9,000 per day to mm. hold the trade open. Wow. So all of a sudden, I was in a different type of risk-to-reward risk seesaw. So no longer was it a case of, is this definitely going down? And I was so positive it was. Yeah. The risk-to-reward seesaw that was going on in my head was, Okay, I know it's going down. I'm like 90% confident ETH is going to carry on crashing down. But when? that The, the when was the variable I wasn't sure. Mm-hmm. So the risk reward seesaw was right. Okay, how confident am I that it's going to crash within the next month? I can't remember what, what my stats were at the time. And then, okay, so let's say it takes 30 days to, to continue. Then I was like, okay, well, the risk is 30 days times nine grand a day. 
was like, oh, it's can I heavy. risk another couple of hundred grand just yeah. to keep the trade open just to see? Mm. And what if I was wrong? Yeah. So I could have blown another couple of hundred grand in borrowing fees and yeah. trade would have bombed out. So yeah. in the end, I pulled it. And what happened four days later? Mm. <laughs> it went down to like $800. Yeah, <laughs> so- yeah it's a pity. Um, but what you say there is interesting about the timing, because if you, you're right, if you're in the what the physical coins, um, crypto, well, then you're not paying those 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 financing Correct. costs. However, if you're doing it through a derivative instrument, which is like you said you were, mm. they are very expensive. And I know I experienced that myself trading a CFD on Bitcoin, um, not knowing. And then I looked at my financing costs and I thought, goodness me, this is costing me like like nearly 100% per year in financing. I don't know why it is ex- is so expensive, but yeah. it, that's what it is. And it, it, it was outrageous. And I thought, oh, okay, all right, this is definitely not the way to be trading crypto. If I'm going to do this, I need to actually do the physical um, and not be paying away these exorbitant uh, financing yeah. costs. But you can't short the market. I know oh, that's the trouble yeah. exactly, and that, that's that's the that's yeah yeah, and that that's the bummer, right? Is that often with with instruments when you short them, you actually earn interest, but it's not the case with crypto; they still charge you. <laughs> yeah, because the dexes they they still need revenue and and uh, and stuff to pay the you know yeah. their shareholders. Yeah, yeah. Now, when we spoke the last time, you said that, that you were you were primarily a forex trader. So mm. I, I, I want to just get a, a recap on that. Are you still trading a lot of forex, or are you mostly crypto now? What's your focus no, these days? I stopped. I think all FX in twenty twenty, or even before that, maybe. Okay. Okay. So, yeah. Why? Well, what's the reason for that? Well, I got into crypto like properly, properly in twenty sixteen. Um, Obviously, we had that lovely bull market in 2017 um, and whatnot. And mm. I just found it a much ni- no, easier is the wrong word. I, I'm, I'm lacking a word here, but I preferred trading with crypto because it's just more volatile. And yeah. as a trader, I like volatility. Sometimes, sure. always. Mm. I mean, if you're doing a range strategy, then yeah, volatility is your friend. Mm. Sometimes you just want a nice, lovely trend that is nice yeah. and stable. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so the. And also, I, I think mainly it was because I've also got the realistic trader community, right? Which, yes. you know, since 2013, that has always been an FX education company. Yeah. But because of the rules in the UK with the FCA, I, I'm not allowed to look, you know, pull up a chart of euro dollar and draw some lines on it and go, hey, this is resistance, this is support. I think we could see this because the FCA construes that as financial advice. Okay. And are so, you not regulated on the realistic trader then? No, I'm just an educator. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. So my hands are tied behind their back. So what it meant that even though they're, you know, my clients are paying a membership to be a member of a community, mm. even me just doodling on some charts or whatever and say, hey, this is my trade. I'm shorting it. Like that, the FCA deems that as still um, financial advice. Right. So, Okay, so then, and, and and but crypto not being regulated then means you yeah. can get away. You can you can draw lines on charts and tell people what you think and yeah, and, and that's fine. Trade. And share my, your like trades. My community, they, I literally every trade I do, I take a screenshot, I share everything. They they have access. They they see my my trading log. So yeah, yeah, yeah. and that's actually something I should have done in the in the intro, to be honest. And I got carried away with telling people how we met. But actually, uh, just in terms of where you fit in and what you do, you run the realistictrader.com, which, as you said, is an education <laughs> platform for traders. Um, who are your clients on there? Mainly DIY traders? Do you have any institutional? Yeah, it, no, funds? no, it's just 
yes more typically um i would say half of small to medium um, small business owners that are doing okay. well in their businesses and they're looking to you learn the markets right and the other half are um middle le- level managers and higher so people with a job but earning you know let's say yeah. north of 40 grand a year yeah basically people who who, who are trading for themselves they're tra- taking it on but they want a little bit of guidance of, of from someone who's a professional and knows the market yeah and how to learn properly because you know what you see for free on google is definitely not the stuff that works <laughs> yeah <laughs> no that's right not all of it and i mean i think that's where we where i felt that you and i had a kind of a a, a similar way of seeing things in that trading is not all about uh <clears throat> you know the glitz and glamour that they make it out to be on the internet very often where you see the adverts with the the guy with the lamborghini and the helicopter or the yacht and the pretty girl and yeah, the yeah. you know pr- trading off a laptop on the beach i mean I, I i don't know if you've ever traded off a laptop on the beach so i am <laughs> i have and it's bollocks you know there's sun glare it's hot the laptop heats up you can't see anything there's no wi-fi on the beach typically no. so you then go to the hotel pool you still have the same issues you're sweating like a bastard yeah it's, not, it's, it's a suboptimal trading environment <laughs> it, it, it totally is it totally is and also if you're on holiday don't go trading rather enjoy your holiday that's always been my philosophy you know the, I, I, through the years i've gone on occasional holidays and taken positions with me and it actually just ruins your holiday rather yeah. just go flat enjoy your holiday the market's always there when you come back and the opportunities will always keep coming so yeah. don't mess up your holiday with the trading uh, with trading positions open yeah. agreed yeah. yeah now can you take us through what a, a typical trade might look like uh because i know you you mentioned lines on charts and <laughs> you look at technicals i know that yeah. um i mean do you have a specific sort of a routine or rigorous process that you go through when setting up a trade? And let's talk about a crypto trade now, for example. I mean, I don't know if you can give us an example of a trade <clears throat> and, and, and what they typically look like. Yeah. So um, your viewers, are they watching this in video or audio? They're watching it as both. So that it's video on YouTube. And then okay. we're also doing the audio for all of the uh, listeners of okay. the podcast. So it really is marketed as a, it's, it's marketed as a podcast. So probably best to rather talk and tell us about it rather than share your screen. Okay. Cause the, the many yeah, listeners okay. who are listening to this as a podcast while they're driving their car or going for a jog or on the train, okay. they aren't going to see any <laughs> pictures. <Fair laughs> so okay. you have to yeah. talk to us with words, yeah. show yeah. us with words. Damn it. Words are my, my weak point. Um, okay, so yeah, the first of all, you, you need a quiver of arrows in your, your arsenal, so to speak. So, okay. um, and in fact, going back even one step further, you have to under, uh, identify the the market conditions. So a lot of people think, oh, it's up, down and sideways. They are the market conditions, mm-hmm. but it's wrong. There's six market conditions. So yeah. you have steady and volatile. So they're the conditions. And then you have, you know, range, bull and bear. So right. when you look at that quadrant, there's the six things. Mm. So what you need to, first of all, identify is that whatever strategy you have, you need to know which arrow goes into which market condition. So what a lot of newbies do, they, they'll pick up, they'll go to something online, Google or whatever. They'll find some, I don't know, moving average crossover system or whatever they found in some forum. And they'll go and they'll try and backtest it. And if they're lucky and they've managed to backtest it in a in an environment which looks good, they're like, oh, yeah, this is really good. But let's say it's a, a, a steady trending strategy, you know, moving average crossover, blah, blah, blah. And so, they're like, oh, it's great. 
But then what happens when the market turns into a volatile trend, which mm. it does towards the end of a rally? Yeah. Um, all of a sudden, they could get stopped out or wicked out of some sort. And then all of a sudden, it starts topping. And now it's a volatile ranging market. And then all of a sudden, this, this stupid crossover system doesn't work. Mm. And so what the average Joe does is go, oh, this is bollocks. I'm going to you know, skip to the next strategy. And mm. they spend their lives, years even, like I did to begin with, strategy hopping. So first of all, you need to know, okay, I have strategy A, let's say. Yeah. This strategy can only be used in a steady trend. Cool. Okay. So, and and the, and the reason I say you need a few, because one strategy won't get you every move up or down, et cetera. Yeah. So it, um, to simplify things down, let's say I've got six main strategies. They, they cover a bunch of different market conditions. So every morning when I, oh, I say morning, I, I'm a late one. So I normally wake up at about 11 in the morning, but so I, <clears throat> I walk over to my office in my underwear, um, which is in my house, obviously. Um, <laughs> open up the screens, and once I've cleared the grog from my eyes and whatnot, I'll just run down trading view. So I've got a big watch list of all of basically the whole crypto market, and I I start from the top down. So although it doesn't change much, I always start with M two, so US M two. Okay. What is the US currency supply doing now? Ninety percent of the time, it, it will have done the same thing as yesterday and the day before and the week before, but it's worth knowing whether you know is the US currency supply contracting or in, you know um, inflating. Then I look at the US dollar, and then obviously the dollar dictates everything because any asset that's you know priced against the dollar will be inversely correlated. So yeah. if the dollar is dropping, gold tend to goes up. If the dollar is dropping, Bitcoin goes up, stocks go up, stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. So so there are all of these correlations everywhere. Then I look at the main market, so the S&P 500, the Dow Jones, um, FTSE, DAX, all that sort of stuff. Now, again, I already know by this uh, by this time, I've already seen what the dollar's doing. So if the dollar's going down, I'm I'm almost anticipating that main markets are going up. Yeah. Sometimes it's a lag of a day or two, but it's normally, I, I think the last time I checked the correlation, it's something like a 90% inverse correlation. So, mm. <clears throat> and so let's say, you know, stocks are going up today um let's say i'm looking at the daily chart um i'll then know before you know almost know before i even look at the bitcoin chart that bitcoin's most likely going to be going up as well yeah because bitcoin is roughly 85 percent correlated to the s p 500 the nasdaq dow jones mm. so um i know like a lot of crypto purists are like you know crypto is the the noah's ark to the financial system blah 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 well at the moment it isn't well, no. well it is but when you're looking at normal sort of intraday trading or, you know, normal trading, yeah. it's, basically, it's basically correlated 85%-ish. Yeah, the, the most definitely it has been the case recently. I mean, there's this, like you say, it's when risk assets are moving up, Bitcoin and cryptos are moving up and vice versa. So yeah. They're not exactly. this, um, I think it's it's been disproven, this idea that that uh, these things are uncorrelated to markets. It's not the case. Yeah. They, they, cryptos are, are yeah they're risk assets just like yeah. just like equities and gold and all these other things they are risk assets and they move the way risk assets move yeah and even if it sort of amplifies that as well because let's say you're an institution or a big company with a bunch of different assets and all of a sudden market you know things go risk off you're like shit stuff is happening what's the first thing that they sell they they'd much prefer to sell their Bitcoin than their Apple stock or Tesla mm. stock or whatever. Mm. So yeah. typically, if you're a big boy or a big company, whatever, it's the crypto that's first to be sold 
rather than your Apple stock. And if shit really is hitting the fan, then yeah, then dump your Apple um, or, or, or whatever. So yeah, still risk on. Mm. Um, but the, the, the caveat to this is the bigger picture. I, I do believe crypto or Bitcoin is the Noah's Ark, because if you look at the chart of the amount of Satoshis per dollar, like the, the purchasing power of the dollar against Bitcoin is just is dropping like a stone. So mm. um, with, you know, potential big inflation or hyperinflation, blah, blah, blah. Bitcoin is is the daddy. So yeah. that, that's a little caveat before a lot of Bitcoin maximalists go, ah, it is a <laughs> lot boat. I agree. I agree. It is. It is a lot boat. Yeah. Um, so uh, yeah, going back to the daily thing. Yeah. So then um, I'll find my way on to, uh, so after main markets, I look at oil, copper, nat- natural gas, just, I, I don't trade them, but I like knowing a little bit, a little mm. about a lot. It's not yeah. part, it forms part of your big fuzzy peripheral vision. Mm. And like, for example, this morning, natural gas has just spiked up. Yeah, Interesting. I don't know yeah. why. I haven't even bothered looking at it, but it's in my knowledge base. So then, only then do I look at Bitcoin. So I'll, again, I'll start on the weekly chart on Bitcoin, then the daily chart, then the four hour chart. Now, each of my strategies, going back to the market conditions, you also need to know which time frame to trade them on. So I know some of my strategies don't work on the daily time frame or the one hour. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of them actually are around the one hour or the four hour chart. Yeah. Um, so here's another side um, nugget or side knowledge nugget is that a lot of people will have a trading strategy for say, I don't know the one hour or the four hour chart. Yeah. And then they get really caught up in fundamental macroeconomics. You know, Putin's doing this or Trump or whatever, the dollar's doing this. Largely it means jack shit. If you're yeah. trading the one hour or, or four hour chart, like all of that stuff, yeah, is relevant, but in a bigger time frame. So, rough rule of thumb is that for most strategies you're when you place a trade your trade will play out within 30 candlesticks yeah okay like um of any time frame that's interesting yeah four hours be it one hour be it daily exactly like that's a rough rule of thumb i mean like you can have a look at your own strategies garth and you'll probably see oh yeah shit it's probably within 50 candles or whatever so let's just say it's within 50 candlesticks your trade will have entered and exited yeah well on the hourly chart that's you know two days Mm. yeah it's interesting you say 30 candles i mean look i I generally have a rule where i try and i'll put a stop loss on a trade a a time stop rather uh, which is often about 30 days which is is well so 30 days is not always 30 candles because of weekends right but but I'm also of the view that if a trade is going to work, it's going to work out quickly. And that's been my experience through the years is that the best trades actually work out and get to their target pretty quickly. And the ones that take their time to get going or don't get going, often it's actually the market telling you that, well, the rest of the market doesn't view this the same way you do. That's why the price is not moving where you want it to move. So take that information and use it. Yeah, agreed. And, and then if you get in that situation where you're, you're you're in a trade and it's stalled, just like you said, all of a sudden you're now in a coin flipping. Will it go? Will it won't? You know. And so yeah, I, I agree. The trade normally, if it, the, the the good ones happen in you know a few candles. Yeah, yeah. How, how do you um, avoid yourself getting thrown out of a trade if you are in a trade that's a decent trade? And I mean, now we're talking about really volatile things with cryptos, right? Yeah. I don't trade a lot of crypto. Uh, I, I in fact hardly traded it at all. But um, I know even with less volatile instruments that I trade, equities and and the odd <laughs> currencies, it's hard sometimes to run a winner 
because you, yep. you, you get the volatility that can then try and shake you out. Do you have particular methods that uh, will enable you to to stick around to see the trade through to its target without getting shaken off the horse before it gets to its target? I struggled with this question for a good five years, yeah, on, like back in the day. And um, my answer, uh, and I, it will be different for different people. I try and take that thinking out of the equation because you will scare yourself out of the trade, whether mm. you're snatching too early or you're trying to leave it too long and you're giving loads of profits back to the market. Um, you will always be your own worst enemy. Mm. So I try to be as mechanical in nature. So for the trading strategies that I am deploying, the mechanical ones, um, they will already have their exit criteria as part of the strategy. So it will either be you know, I'm going to enter this trade, it's going to be a three R take profit, or minus one R, or it's going to or if if I'm running a trade, it I will trail the stop loss based upon a you know, moving average or or something like that. Yeah, Um, there is always a time stop loss as well. Like like you mentioned that that, that's very accurate. Um, So the Yeah, so a lot of the, the mechanical systems none of the, all the thinking is taking taken away from me mm. the, the thing where i do um, hold my hand up and struggle slightly is more for the spot market so let's say you know for, for bitcoin let's say i finally get back into the market i buy a whole bunch of crypto etc and i run it up and let's say 2024 is another big big year and you know moving into 2025 i'm sat there on you know x hundred percent profit or thousand you know like you know typical bull market then it's a case of shit. Okay, do I, do I take profit now? Because mm. you know, towards the end of the bull market, you see massive spikes. Yeah, always massive spike ups. Uh, but sometimes it's several times. Like I remember, I think off the top of my head, when Bitcoin zoomed up to forty k for the very first time, it was a big old candle. Yeah, and everyone's like, oh, this is the high, and then you know, it pulled back down. I think back to thirty or, or whatever, and you know, there was a the del- deliberation or shit is at the top and then mm. all of a sudden we had another mini bull market up to 60 yeah um so and i know people that you know got left on the train station you know at 30k 34 yeah. and then i know people that ran it all the way up to 69k and then didn't get out till 30 again so yeah. <laughs> so they all end up in the same place so for me when it comes to crypto i'm looking more of the the big um bigger fundamental metric so for example i the bitcoin still does have a four-year cycle believe it or not yeah um so i'm looking at that um so the next time i think i know i'm not sh- sharing a screen but i just off the top of my head i should know this um the next topping uh log chart here we go we should have 2025 sometime 2025 so if all of a sudden we're sat on loads of profits around 2025 i'm gonna probably start taking profits off the table just based on the four-year cycle Hmm. yeah i mean obviously my my opinion will quickly change if there's new data and that's the thing i hate about youtube you know i'll say something Hmm. i lift my pants up all the time or lift my skirt up um but my opinion does change when there's new data so um yeah well that's it right you in effect change change your view right yeah change your position you spoke about the dollar and the correlation to 
uh, to all of the assets, right? We said how it's, you know, weaker dollar tends to tends to align with higher risk asset prices, be that equities, be that um, commodities, be it uh, crypto and vice versa. So mm-hmm. right now, the US dollar index is kind of at quite a critical level. And I, I want to get your thoughts on it. Those who know the US dollar index, it's, a, it's an index of the US dollar against six developed market currencies. It's the dollar versus the euro, the pound, the Swiss franc, the Canadian dollar, the Swedish krona, and uh, the yen, I think is the other one that I've left out. There's six currencies, right? Now, the US dollar, if you look at a long-term chart, um, the US dollar index is is pulled back all the way to a huge area of support, which is at about 100 to 102, call it. So it's we're in this zone now where either the dollar is going to bounce from that level or it's going to fail and it's going to fall through that support and continue to weaken. And I'm finding right now that it's quite tricky to make any you know, medium-term, longer-term bets based on that. Because if the dollar does bounce, well, then that's probably going to mean that we see a correction in risk assets. On the other hand, if the dollar continues to weaken through that support, well, then maybe that means we're going to see further upside in equities, in cryptos, in, in, in gold, et cetera. What's your view on the on the dollar from here? Oh, man. It's it's all I talk about at the moment with with, with my community you, you, you're spot on i'm looking at this on my other screen right now it's sat there on massive support mm. and like there's two main points of um which two main highs which create that support which is the high of 2017 yep. and that high of 2020 and mm. if you just draw that line connecting those like it it leads us into basically a head and shoulders yeah. <laughs> on the yeah. weekly channel yeah. Um, and right now, the right shoulder is, you know, the left shoulder is a bit iffy and the head's definitely there. The right shoulder is very well formed. And right now we're at the bottom, we're at the base of that right shoulder. So I, the neckline. Yeah. And it like, as much as I, I, I study all, all of the, the, the macro type stuff, I would have to say right now, it's, it is 50-50. I know, not even 50-50. I don't know is the answer. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm glad I'm not the only one because that, that's something I'm really grappling yeah. with at the moment because it's like, you know, dollars here and so much is going to depend on what the dollar does from here. But as you say, does the support hold? Does it fail? Uh, and But we don't know. I mean, I guess we just have to keep watching and then respond once it's decided what it's going to do. True. However, there are certain things happening now that have never happened before. Mm. So, for example, the, the dollar hegemony is now crumbling. So, for example, the the US has had the the petrodollar system since 1975, really, mm. which means that all every every country on the planet has to convert their 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 native currency into the dollar to do oil transactions. So, yeah. if India is buying oil from Syria, they both convert into the dollar, and then they do their oil transaction. Which means all oil transactions since 1975 have effectively run through the Federal Reserve. Mm. And because the Federal Reserve have ed- editing privileges on the US database, i.e. the money supply, you know, the US has effectively had free oil since 1975. So countries over the years have gone, hey, this is shit. I want to stop this. Libya, Iraq, you know, we've seen what's happened to those, you know, countries where they've suddenly had, you know, liberation 
Team America. Um, <laughs> anyway, so what's happening now is like we're we're seeing a mass exodus of countries from the petrodollar system. So China and Syria, China, Iran, China, Saudi Arabia, Brazil, China. Basically, the BRICs are, are very overtly moving away from the petrodollar system. So mm. British, Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa. And the BRICs as a collective whole, I would say, are as big as NATO. You know, <clears throat> maybe not military-wise. Mind you, Russia and China are pretty big. Mm. Um, so... And, and and even Asia right now are calling on for a pan-Asian monetary fund, yeah. which would do exactly what the IMF does. And you have to understand that for decades, the US has basically bullied every country that it's wanted to bully with the threat of the dollar. You know, do what we say or we will restrict you from the dollar payment network and SWIFT. Mm. Oh, look what they did with Russia recently. Yeah, they did exactly they stole, that. And yeah. they stole $600 billion worth of Russian money. Mm. Um, so other countries, I mean, if I was a random country looking at this going, holy shit, they just stole $600 billion from from Russia, for as in payments that people made for, any, you know, Russian gas, etc. Mm. Now, mm. ignoring, you know, obviously what Putin is doing, they, st- they literally stole $600 billion. So if I'm a country going, shit, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty bored of being bullied by the dollar. How about we cozy up with China? They keep coming, to, they keep knocking my door, coming up with some nice juicy deals. And that's what they're doing. China uh, have been deploying their checkbook to policy, uh, diplomacy for years now. They're, they're buying up huge chunks of Australia. They bought loads of Africa, yeah. uh, all over Africa. Mm. Uh, and um, it's, you know, and, and they're, they're going to countries with really good deals. So, you know, why, why, don't I trade my oil for for the yuan instead of yeah. the dollar? Mm. So, mm. so as a result of that, so I'll get back to point now. As a result of that, loads of countries are you know there's there's a, a stark um, less of a demand of dollars, which is why we've had you know the dollar effectively peaked in September 2022 and has crashed big time since. Yeah, yeah. and that's because of this. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. But I guess it's also I mean that's also a function of U.S. rates going up. And, and the next that question is, awesome. is, how high do rates go? And everybody seems to think that there's another 25 basis points hike coming in May. And then after that, the Fed will pause and then maybe pivot and start taking rates down at some stage. But obviously, <laughs> the further out you look, the less or the, mer- the more murky the picture the picture is. But I mean, I, I would also suspect that that could also have an, a consequence for the dollar, right? If they are going to keep rates up. I mean, does that not then continue to support the dollar and mean that the dollar index will hold that support level? Are we just guessing? Quite possibly. So when you look at the hit, so if you take a step back and look at the biggest um, metrics from 1950 onwards, uh, it tells such a clear story. It's it's scary. It's scary how clear this picture is. So, so let's build them up. And it's annoying. It, it's unfortunate that I can't share screens because mm. the picture would paint a billion words here. So, um, if you look at interest rates, every single time, basically since 1950, we've had a sharp increase, a sharp and dramatic increase of interest rates. Um, we, that's led into a recession. Yeah, almost every single time. Now, if you're going to be very careful when you're looking at that, it's not the rallying into it. It's the the sudden drop of interest rates. 
that sparks the crash. Mm. So we have massive hike and dramatic rise in interest rates. Then they pivot, mm. rates then drop quickly. Then the recession happens. Yeah. So a lot of people think, oh, wait, they're going to drop rates, which means they'll also print money at the same time. Stocks and stuff will go to the moon. No, no. Um, it's the dropping of rates. Yeah. Now, every time they paused rates for a few months, stocks and assets rally. So here's yeah. the key thing. If they pause rates, shit goes up. Mm. If they drop them fast, we're in for a crash. Yeah. So that's one metric, in, in, <clears throat> interest rates. So right now, we have spiked up at the fastest rate rates have ever gone up in history. Mm. And we're waiting for that. You know, what, what are they going to do with it? Now, let's then tally this. If you if you have this big picture of the S&P 500, now let's tally on top of the, um, uh, employment rates. Okay, so this is where it just doesn't make sense at all. Since 1950 onwards, every single time we've had a local low of employment rates, we've had a massive crash. Again, it doesn't make sense. If unemployment's low, we should have a lot, you know, there shouldn't be a crash. But no, every single time we have a low in employment rates, we have a crash. Yeah, We are now at, I think, the lowest in employment or official employment rates since 1980, something like that. Mm. Now, I don't believe those employment rates at all because the way they gauge them is is utter bollocks. Anyway, That's un- so- unemployment, right? Just to make it clear. Unemployment. It lo- lowest unemployment rates, yeah. yeah. Okay, which means, yeah, so full, full employment. Yeah, exactly, which doesn't make sense. Anyway, so you now have in, um, interest rates and unemployment metrics all saying the same thing. You then put inflation. Every single time we've had raging inflation, guess what's happened next? Crash. Mm-hmm. So, and then the next thing um, is <clears throat> inflation. Oh, I had a picture of uh, interest rate. Oh, I can't remember. But, but it's yeah. it's it's interesting what you say because I mean that, that is it's it's quite um and particularly around the the rates and when they start to cut rates and that, that that's when your recession starts and I guess it's it's yeah. because you're in a recession that they cut rates right that's yeah. that's why yeah that's why the Federal Reserve cuts rates because they need to stimulate the economy out of a recessionary environment and when you have recessions you have <clears> you know <throat> stock markets go down yeah exactly is that your view then from here that we that that we're you know, we're we're facing yeah. another leg down in the in the equity yeah. markets. Like when, if you go to the Federal Reserve website and then add on all of these metrics into one chart, you'll see that there has never been a time where we've had rising inflation, rising interest rates, and low unemployment where there has not been a recession. Mm. Mm. Never. The Federal Reserve have even come out and said they're expecting they're expecting a mild recession, which is interesting because the Fed never ever comes out and uses the R word. Uh, you know, you go back in in the past before two thousand and eight and what have you. They they said, well, no, don't think there's a recession coming. This time they're actually saying no, they do think there's a recession. So, <laughs> I know, and, you know, and, you you wonder if they do, if they never thought there was going to be one in the past and we had a number of recessions and now we yeah. suddenly they do think there's going to be one. It makes me ask, well, are we going to have a big one? Yeah, and on the fourteenth of April, Jamie Dimon, the CEO of J.P. Morgan, said exact words in reading there will inevitably be a recession yeah yeah and like you can't get as you know he is way up there in the the elites let's just mm. say you mm. know there was but yeah so everyone's calling for that and also the other thing is that you you should always look at what billionaires and big companies do not what they say so if you look what they're doing every big company um they 
you know, it, it's fair to say they, they've got better optics on stuff than us, right? They're mm. the best, all the money, best advisor, blah, blah, blah. Before big recessions, a lot of these big companies, they, they fire shitloads of staff and they borrow money as much as they can. So they get they they get debt assets or uh, debt instruments and they fire people. Well, what have all the Fang TM companies done? Mm. I think last time I checked, Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Netflix, Google, Tesla, Microsoft, they have fired over two hundred fifty thousand people in the last twelve months. Yeah, and a lot of them are doing massive share buybacks and getting debt instruments. Yeah, yeah. It's like holy shit. Okay. Um, what you know they're preparing for something because what they're trying to do is they're trying to become uh, reduce their opex and have the longest cash runway possible yeah they're backing up for a storm basically mm. yeah seen this movie before mm. all right interesting and i mean we are running out of time now so yeah what i know you've got to run off to another meeting uh and and i do as well after this so we're going right. to keep it short what I want to say from here on out, I mean, I think we've got your market view. I've heard about cryptos. We've spoken about the dollar. It's been good. Where do listeners and viewers of this podcast get more of your insights if they want to follow you? Yeah. Um, so I put loads of free stuff on on YouTube. So Siam Kid. Yeah. I have to say I'm not a YouTuber. <laughs> okay. But I, I, I just put stuff on there just for public record, I guess. Yeah. And I've yeah, and the, the realistictrader.com. Realistictrader.com. And then you're also on Twitter, yeah? Yes, yeah. And that's yeah. what, at Siam Kid. Yeah, that, that's me. That's yeah. you. Okay. Controversial, then it's me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Siam. Well, it's been good to catch up with you again. I've enjoyed this. Yeah, it's It's always fun. Uh, and I hope it it's, it's, You know what? Every Every opinion is worth listening to. And we get differing views coming on this podcast, but that's what makes a market at the end of the day, differing views. And uh, it's been interesting. So thank you very much for your time again. It's been good after three years to catch up with you once again. And uh, we'll do this again sometime. Amazing. Cool. Thank you so much. Cheers. Thanks for joining us for today's episode of Talking With Traders brought to you by IG, a world leading CFD provider. We really are privileged to have such a leader in the field of online trading involved in this series. Please follow us on Facebook and engage with us there. And a reminder to make sure you subscribe to this series by clicking on the subscribe button on your favorite podcast app. If you've enjoyed this podcast, we'd also appreciate if you'd leave a review on the app too. Till next time.